0: Welcome to Grove Unleashed, I am state representative Seth Grove, 196 district, hail from York, Pennsylvania. We are actually the first capital of the United States under the Articles and Confederation. Um, so if you ever come to York and you see a bunch of first capital stuff, that is why. And joining me is Anders Toman from uh, my district office, Anders. And I know uh, you weren't happy with your introduction to, uh, at the first ever Grove Unleashed podcast. So, uh, what do you what do you got What do you got us for us today?
1: Well, I think to make my introduction a little better, I'll just tell you a stupid joke, or it's more so a question. Do you think that before crowbars were invented, crows just drank at home? Possibly.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, w- I wonder what crows did during Prohibition. I right. Probably drank at home. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So. You know, last week we discussed pre- pretty in depth congressional redistricting that process. How, you know, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court for the justices, for other seven justices, decide to side with a national Democrat dark money group in selecting their map that has a deviation of plus or minus two, which is unconstitution violation of the Westbury, which uh, I believe we finally got their orders back. And uh, Judge Brobson went into detail about how that was unconstitutional. Um, It was a really, really great. Unfortunately, it was the dissent, but it was a great opinion written by him um, highlighting those issues. But we do have a slight update. There's two kind of U.S. Supreme Court cases kind of making their way through the system. One out of North Carolina, one out of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania cases: Tothman Jr. versus Secretary of State Chapman, and both petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to take the case, kind of like the uh, uh, what we call it in Pennsylvania King's Bench when someone requests the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to pull it up at their level and kind of bypass the entire appeals process. Thing is, they call, actually call that the shadow docket. With the, shady. Uh, yeah, with the U.S. Supreme Court, the shadow docket. Because I guess it's just not going through the normal process. So Judge Alito wrote the opinion. They actually decided not to take the case. But in his opinion, he actually cited the importance of deciding this case through a normal process. And he there, there's this uh, Purcell rule that basically said, we don't want to get involved in these uh, redistricting cases so close to an election primaries are right around the corner. So they kind of punted on that, but you know, did mention this is important, we should take this up. And then there is a dissent uh, three justices, more conservative justices, basically said, we agree with Alito that we should be t- looking at this. And on top of that, we need to address election laws in general and reigning in the state courts because they're they're boundless basically which is crazy to think um so very important and what's interesting that's four justices right so alito basically saying we need to take this but we need to take it on appeals and three other justices saying we should actually take this now and we agree with that assessment so it takes four justices to rule to vote in agreement to take a case so basically the u.s supreme court is saying send us redistricting cases. And they highlighted the North Carolina and Pennsylvania cases as two critical pieces of, of court case to say, you know, these are important cases and you need to get it get it to us. because Very similar of state courts basically, I, I would say, overseeding their power and picking maps and setting election laws. And we all remember the 2020 election cycle where the state Supreme Court said to interject itself and set election policy. So pretty important that case is still tracking. Hopefully, our caucus in the Senate will be uh, filing an appeal. We have Judge Bropson's order that lays out the exact constitution- constitutionality of the map. You can't have a deviation, and there's no real compelling evidence as why you need a deviation or plus or minus two. Particularly since the Carter plaintiffs, basically the Democrat National Party, they actually tried to sneak a map in. That took their map and reduce it to one person. So there's no compelling interest. So hopefully we can we can move forward. If the Supreme Court if it makes it way through the court system, we could actually be picking new congressional maps next year.
1: That is awesome. Yeah. So
0: that's some that's some it's 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 a little disappointing in that the, the Supreme Court kinda of punted on time, but at the same point, I think it's it's important for to let people know, um, at least four justices are interested in these cases mm-hmm. and we may see yeah, it looks Hopefully promising. Some yeah. yeah,
1: I know the time frame seems a little disappointing, but you know it's politics; things take time. Uh, it's frustrating, but that's just the name of the game, right? Yeah. And it's interesting; it's all
0: based on this uh, state legislature doctrine that basically says when, when power is granted to state legislature, governors and judges and the judiciary, you know, they don't have a role in that in that process. So I'm interested to see where where that's going to end. Are they going to come back and say unilaterally? Are they going to limit court power? Are they going to kick everybody else out? I mean, the court could go multiple ways with this. So it's, 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 I think it's very important moving forward watching this. I think it's important from the standpoint of limiting the power of, I would say, a, a runaway judiciary in some of these states. So we'll keep tracking it, keep you updated on it.
1: So why is it you brought up that the Senate would have to bring up an appeal? Could you explain a little bit about why it's the Senate that would go through that process? Well, it was actually the
0: House and the Senate. We were actually joint interveners in the appeal process uh, with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So we were joined together. So the House and the Senate, basically the Senate Republican caucus, the House Republican caucus would have to enter to a joint suit. That's important because we are the, the, the legislative branch. We passed a bill. That went through extensive process, like the most expensive process we've ever had in the entire history of the General Assembly on congressional redistricting. We picked a map, selected by a citizen. So all that, um, all that background, all of the work that Pat McCullough did, the the appointed special master, uh, Judge McCullough of the, the Supreme Court, all that's important. And, you know, as a party to the case, we have standing to do it. Um, so this this Tuffman junior case that's out there, that's brought up by citizens, which has weight, but I think it's equally as important for us to. So the North Carolina case, that's done by Speaker Tim Moore. He's a Republican speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives. So it provides extra standing to say, we as the General Assembly, we pass this. Article 2, Section 1 of the United States Constitution limit the powers of setting times and places of elections and redistricting to the legislative branch. That is us. It doesn't say the court shall draw maps. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say the governor shall draw maps. It says us, the General Assembly, shall draw a map. So it's critically important to to reaffirm those powers, those constitutional powers. Now, it's not to say that we can bypass our state constitutional duties because the governor has legislative powers, right? Veto, sign, not sign, allow, become law. Those are his legislative powers. But those legislative powers are also bound by constitutional restraints. Same as judges and the courts. They're bound by those constitutional restraints that are enshrined. And again, I'll go back, it says the court shall not, it doesn't say the court shall pick a map, the court shall assist the General Assembly in picking a map. It says the General Assembly, state legislatures shall draw the map. So it's critically important we retain that power. And just not this, you know, election code, election laws, so forth, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the judge, judges to draw maps. If they have an issue, if they have a constitutional issue, they should be reprimanding
1: it back for us to fix it. Absolutely. And we'll be more than happy to do that. Yeah. It's been a busy busy past two weeks here beautiful day out first of all uh thank god right yeah i know the weather one day is you know 70 degrees like today Mm -hmm. but the next day it's so cold governor wolf has his hands in his own pockets i think last time we were here gas prices were under four dollars uh now it's so expensive that tom brady had to go back to work true it's, story
0: yeah. I, and that was a surprise and we were i remember connor my middle job we were watching sports center we were watching the brackets uh bracketology on espn mm-hmm. uh where they were doing the seating for the ncaa tournament and this little thing popped up tom brady unretires and I was really paying attention, and he goes, Dad, Tom Brady's back. I'm like, stop, he is not. And he's like, look at his little screen, and lo and behold. Did you hear about the guy who bought his last, last football 12, yeah, for it's half, like a half a million dollars. dollars a day before he oh, unretired? Oh. Oh, right? I yeah. mean, investments are investments. Unfortunately, um, So yeah. he's got a Tom Brady touchdown. I mean, maybe he could sell it as his
1: his almost last touchdown ever thrown. I don't he's, know,
0: maybe he comes back and never ever throws a touchdown again. He, he's be. going to be,
1: be doing Brett Favre's for the next couple maybe. of years, I think. I mean, think. who's to say he's not coming back as a field goal kicker? He could be. He could be. Yeah. I mean, he could repurpose himself.
0: Maybe an inside linebacker.
1: He's a decent punter, too. Yeah, yeah. decent. <laughs> we know he can't catch.
0: Like, yeah, wide no, receivers no. out. So that little Perrier he did in the Super Bowl, people still remember that one. So we'll see. Tom Brady, the kicker. I like that
1: yeah also i saw in the news that you wrote your own op-ed on minimum wage yeah i did
0: it's it's interesting you know governor wolf for you know eight years now has called to increase the minimum wage it's we have the federal minimum uh 7.25 an hour and it's funny i we were just on our way up to harrisburg anders and i saw a big sign for pixel which is mm-hmm. um you know business in the district used to be gladfelder paper company starting wages 23 to 30 dollars an hour yeah. So the big question is, who is still making minimum wage and why are they making
1: minimum wage? It's it's an interesting and what, what data do you got on, on us for that? Uh, well, actually, 98.9 percent of Pennsylvanians as of 2021, according to a Department of Labor and Industry study, 98.9 percent of Pennsylvanians earn a wage higher than the minimum wage. Wow. That's
0: interesting. And that's that's the Pennsylvania Department of Labor and Industry like. Governor Tom Wolf's Department of Labor mm-hmm. and Industry, the same people that go out there and advocate for a higher minimum wage, say 98% of Pennsylvanians are making higher than a minimum wage. Yeah. How about the people making minimum wage, Anders? How many, what what, what what type of people are, what's the demographic of those individuals? So the
1: people that, the majority of the people making minimum wage right now are uh, 16 to 24 years old with a high school degree or less, never married, and 75% have no children under the age of 18. So high school and college kids are making minimum wage. That's the bulk of people
0: making minimum wage. High school and under. High school and under. Yeah. Uh, Well, you could be in college and have a high school degree you just don't have a college degree yet cuz you're still in college right yeah, so
1: potentially yeah. so you're looking at
0: college and high school kids
1: if you're in college and you're making minimum wage that's probably your own fault right yeah. right either that but, or you're working for the but school but
0: it shows it shows like if you're if you're making minimum wage you're probably making a decision that you maybe you just like that job right yeah. but there's tons of opportunities i haven't seen i to date i have not seen anybody hiring than less than 15 an hour in york mm-hmm. No one. I, I haven't. I haven't seen it. When I, have I was seen in college, no advertisement.
1: When I was in college, I was working at Rudder's, and when I first started off, uh, I actually started in high school when I was 16 years old. I was making almost $10 an hour, and by the time I quit to move on to politics, I and it was making almost $15 an hour. Wow. And there, there's no reason for anybody to be making minimum wage at this point, um, unless you are in high school, but even then, like I said, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, there's a lot of
0: individuals that make minimum wage that are like not in that demographic. Mm-hmm. So most people, we can all agree, most people are, are high school, and, and let's be honest, high school kids, first job, are they worth anything more than minimum wage? You gotta have. You yeah. have to have an honest conversation about yeah. that. You know, your first job, you have no idea what you're doing. You know, it's it's actually a benefit. It's actually nice that a business would hire someone for their first time job because they literally got to train them, show up on time, dress code, you know, be respectful to customers. The whole nine I was useless, like, right? Yeah, I was completely useless at that age. Um, but when you have a good manager, good business, mm-hmm. you now become successful in life. So it, it's, I have never bought this government should be setting wages in the in the private sector i don't like i don't know what the price point is for anything i don't know as a business if you're making three percent profit one percent profit two percent profit all i do know is when the government gets involved in the in the in the private sector it doesn't go right and really hurts the entire system and i think the best example is government shutdowns during covid government got really involved in people's businesses, and now we have businesses that don't even exist anymore yeah. uh, because of government intervention. And it was for public health and safety. We learned later, kind of the bad idea, wrong thing to do. So, Which, by the way, just introduced a co-sponsorship memo on the End Executive Tyranny Act. I introduced it uh, yesterday. The little time frame yesterday was one of my favorite holidays, the Ides of March. Beware. Beware, beware. The Ides of March. It's where the uh, uh, Senate uh, in Rome took back its authority. Now, we, we don't stab executives today. That is wrong. But we absolutely can pass laws and constitutional mem- amendments to rein in rogue executive branch. And for the most part, I think we should be looking at the judicial branch, too, reining in their rogue behavior recently. So uh, times have changed a little. But as far as dealing with executive tyranny and judicial tyranny but uh, I I think we got appropriate so basically amends the Disease Prevention Control Act of 1955 that horrible law that Governor Wolf and Secretary Levine and all those individuals used to destroy our economy and make everyone's life a living hell over uh, a year plus so we we, uh, we're going to Mend that to make sure that they can't shut down business they cannot quarantine non-sick people which i think is actually specified in there but our wonderful pennsylvania supreme court back them every single unconstitutional violation of civil liberties that they utilized in 2020 so we're, we're gonna we're gonna stop that and on top of that i think it's wrong that businesses who basically told Wolf to go pound sand should be punished uh, or a licensee. So in there, we basically say, if, if you have any infraction relating to COVID-19 emergency declaration in 2020 or 2021, we're wiping it off your record. So you cannot be punished for that anymore because it was wrong. It should have never happened. And we need to help these individuals as much as we can.
1: That is awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's fun stuff. And, and, you know, if I were actually in the executive branch, I, governor, I would actually never get a meeting with the legislative branch on March 15th ever.
1: No, I wouldn't do it. That'd we be a bad idea. Right. would uh, never do it. Yeah, your committee has been up to a lot, the House State Government Committee. Uh, right. actually, there was just a report that came out. Looks like you guys were probably the busiest committee in all of the House. We were. We
0: we do a lot of work. Uh, I mean, we're slated with a lot of work. Election reforms, mm-hmm. con- congressional redistricting. And a lot of our, if you look at a lot of our policy objectives, stuff we want to get done, um, hails from the State Government Committee. We have some of the most number of bills referred to our committee. We have a large swath of scope of, of issues to deal with uh yeah technically you can put anything you want in state government committee generally um so it's kind of fun you never know what pops up we we, i got a great group of of legislators who love to work um as much as they maybe give me grief sometimes about 8 a.m voting meetings or (laughs) another hearing or another voting meeting i love them they're 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 all workers they come with their a game every single day uh, and I'm very blessed to have a wonderful staff on top of that who painstakingly do a lot of work to get us prepared to, to move these important bills. So, good Lord, we've done 57 total meetings, 39 oversight meetings. I am a bit of a fanatic when it comes to oversight because somebody in here needs to hold people accountable, uh, whether it's judiciary or the executive branch. So I love dragging people in and asking them, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And it may be all good stuff. Great. But you need accountability in that. 18 voting meetings, and, and the committee's first in total meetings, oversight meetings, and voting meetings. We've moved Senate, seven Senate bills, tied third for that. 86 total approved bills, House bills coming out of committee. We've had 323 total House and Senate bills referred to the committee, and we've moved out 79 House bills. So second in House bills moved, second in total bills referred, and second in total bills approved coming out of the committee. So... A lot of work, a lot of hard work. A lot of work, and it's it's not it's not like mundane stuff. Like we are doing complex legislation, procurement, right to know, pensions, elections, congressional redistricting. Uh, we dealt with COVID-19 on multiple voting meetings, uh, administrative functions, curbing government, restricting executive overreach. So we've done a lot of big ticket items to, to advance this Commonwealth forward.
1: Now the minimum wage that's not something your committee would handle, is it? No, that's uh, that's
0: labor and industry that's committee. What I figured. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: So the school test results came back for the state assessments and your district in particular some of the schools did very very well some not so much but do you want to go over that a little bit yeah uh, let's just. I, I remember it. I remember you know we, we've had a battle with the wolf administration
0: releasing this data I know speaker cutler sent a letter like when are you actually going to release the school data for and this is this is 2020 so this is during the pandemic what was what were your outcomes and given like it was a tough time for everybody dealing with this it was tough for schools it was tough for parents it was tough for kids you know i remember you know my family worked the entire pandemic i was here working i was a member of the state government committee at the time at one point the state government committee was the only committee in the entire country operating the house of representatives at one time was the only legislative body in the entire country in operation at one point the general assembly pennsylvania general assembly was the only legislative body operating in person. We were the only branch of government here in the state working in person through the pandemic. Well, that's just because you don't care about grandma. Right, that's what they say, that's what they say. But we found a way, we dealt with it like, like responsible adults right you got sick you stay at home you tested positive you stay at home that was the policy from the top down Uh, we respected it as house members our staff respected it and we were able to do some significant stuff uh, to help Pennsylvania residents so Um,
1: what you're telling me is that you guys did something completely out there you guys handled this virus the way that people have been handling viruses and other illnesses for years exactly
0: and I mean groundbreaking
1: right groundbreaking right
0: and, and even a little more before COVID-19 right people come in with snotty noses sick I got the flu I got the cold um, and they pass it to everybody else like you know I think people recognize if you have a fever if you're sick let's just stay at home make sure you don't get your fellow employees sick because you know believe it or not the General Assembly can continue without Seth Grover Anders or Chuck Chuck's that, here in the studio a with us right? That's
1: a right I mean we
0: do amazing work I know but at the same time, Commonwealth, the General Assembly, has been around for 300 years. So, Seth Grove not being here for a day, didn't matter. You know, I got it, and we, right during, uh, we were doing uh, election oversight hearings, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Next up to batter, right, Paul Schemmel, he's one of my uh, vice chairs of the committee, he operates a subcommittee, um, stepped in and handled a a committee hearing like you just go there's work to be done and you figure out a way to do it and schools schools were tough in a tough spot some schools closed and did virtual some schools stayed open and made sure they had that in-person virtual so really we need to go back and say you know what worked the best do we get better performance when schools were open and schools were allowed to manage appropriately or were we better off shutting them all down and having virtual so what does the data say so We have three school districts in the 196th district. We have Dover, Spring Grove, and West York. Spring Grove knocked it out of the park. So statewide average, ELA, English Language Arts Literature, statewide average is 55% of students are proficient or advanced in Pennsylvania. Mathematics, algebra, 37.3. Science, biology, 63.7%. So when you look at Spring Grove school district, Spring
1: Grove area, the high school, uh, we got a non-applicable for ELA. Do we know why it's non-applicable? That's either I believe there wasn't enough students that took the test, mm. or nobody took it. Okay. I, yeah. which is also a problem since we allowed
0: students not to take it mm-hmm. so take this data with a grain of salt not all students were taking it previous years and years after every students required to take this test we probably did a horrible thing and not allow students to take these so it's not comparable really what you want to do is look at this data and look at the data from the t- students that actually took the test mm-hmm. last year uh, just for example so Spring Grove Area School District uh, math, uh, math, algebra. Seventy-two point nine percent of students were above advanced we're proficient. or proficient, yeah. and the statewide average was thirty-seven point three. Phenomenal. They should be very proud of that, right? But you know, what if these same students last year were seventy-seven point nine percent proficient? I don't know what it was based on the raw data. Looking at just it statically, that's phenomenal. Science, biology, Spring Grove Area High School. Ninety-two point seven percent. Like that's amazing amazing so you know all in all spring grove they had um spring grove area middle school were below the statewide averages in algebra mathematics and then science biology which again it is is bad but again it's i I don't know the comparables in this dover was kind of in the middle looking at the high school data ela 16.7 percent were proficient and the statewide average was 55. Math, algebra, 74%, and the statewide average was 37.3. And then uh, science, biology, 38.5%. Uh, and the statewide average was 63.7. So it's really hard to judge. It gives you... I, I think we all expect loss mm-hmm. of learning, right? It, it just happened. I, and I can see it with my own kids. My oldest, Andrew, did great virtual. Connor, my middle child, struggled with it. Yeah. Um, and then we had my daughter, who was there, who wanted attention to as I was working at home trying to educate the kids as well as entertain a three-year-old. So it's... It, it was a struggle for everybody involved, but I, I think I think we have some loss. You know West York got hit probably the worst. They only have two scores, West York area high school mathematics algebra, and then Trimmer Elementary, Science, biology were above the statewide average. Everything else is is below. So out of the three school districts, they had the worst scores below. But again, I think it just proved the assumption there was loss of learning. I think we need to, us as a state and school districts, we need to partner to increase and offer more to get those kids back on track. We can do it i think we have great teachers in the school districts that will live up to the challenge as well as administrators and two we really need a a fair comparison we need to look at the kids that took the test last year compared to this year and see what that looked like but the test results are out there if you go to department of education's website you can pull up any school in the entire Commonwealth. Um, you can look at your kid's individual school. You can look at the school district. Um, it's on Department of Education's website. Uh, just look for school data and you can pull that up. They also have, uh, if, you're, if you're really, really in keen, they also have all the financial data on the A- AFR, annual financial reporting data. Uh, I used to look at that every day how fun it is <laughs> you know data data's data is important like data can show you stuff it can be manipulated uh you gotta you gotta watch what you're kind of reading and what you're seeing but you know if you can view raw data you can do your own analysis and make your own determinations like this This isn't, for the most part, raw data. This is a Mm -hmm. calculation Department of Education puts out through multiple data points and stuff like that. So we need to break it down. And two, I've actually never been a fan of this kind of data for school kids. I've always cared more about student growth. So I would rather see, instead of have you met like the statewide average, how many kids are proficient or advanced, I wanna see how many kids have advanced in Mm -hmm. general. If a kid is a 60% student last year, they're a 70% student this year. That's the data I care about because the teachers have taken that kid and advanced him forward so he's better prepared and better educated for the future. So I've never been a big fan of this as far as how we how we do it. I think standardized tests are good. It sets a benchmark that you can compare everybody equally to, uh, but at the same time, I, I think student individual student achievement is far superior than like this static benchmark at the end of the school year. The kid starts fourth grade at a fourth grade level and graduates at a fifth grade level, that is success. If a student starts in fourth grade at a third grade level and graduates above a fourth grade level at the end of the year, that is a success. That is what we should focus on. That is what we should care about. Those are the data points we should be actually
1: focused on. Um, At some point, maybe we'll get back to that reality, we'll see i mentioned you said the word reality and i think that's a perfect turning point i'm bad with transitions that's a perfect turning point for fake news fake news i uh, think some people would
0: trying uh, to point that as the the school does fake data i think some would
1: um i think it's it's informational but we'll see where it goes well let's see if this headline right here is fake news all right argument over james brown's height leads to a shooting in alabama Oh my goodness, an argument over James Brown's
0: height leads to a shooting in Alabama. Um,
1: I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with real news. That is real. Uh, it's from the Associated Press. I think that was like 2011. 2011. Um, okay. There's a comedian Tom Segura who did a skit on it. Uh, James like. Brown was not 6'3". The hell he wasn't. How tall was he then? 5'6". You don't talk bad
0: about James Brown in this house. All right? You're off by 9 inches, buddy. And I don't want you talking bad about the man I respect more than Jesus Christ himself. I'm dumbfounded by that. Like uh, that. That, to me, that, yeah. Yeah, that should be fake news. Yeah. That should
1: absolutely be fake news. I went to school in Alabama. I have to say, not surprising. Yeah, okay. uh, uh, Canada taps into strategic reserves to deal with massive shortage of maple syrup. Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with fake news. Although I don't know if their engines run on maple syrup in Canada. <laughs> That is real. That, that's from NPR. Okay. Yeah. Apparently people couldn't collect maple syrup during COVID. No. I don't know. The <laughs> fact that
0: they have a strategic reserve of maple syrup <laughs> in Canada. Like, I, <laughs> we need, we need,
1: we're out of maple syrup. Ah! Sound the alarms. Sound the
0: alarm. <laughs> oh. There was, I, I remember COVID, like there was a hard time getting syrup defcon con maple see right yeah. um now we know that canada's been hoarding it <laughs> hoarding it did you ever watch the movie where a uh, a president was in trouble maybe been high gas prices or something and he decided to pick a war with canada it had john candy in it they decided to as a militia group invade canada great movie i want to say it was like a 80s movie late 80s or something like that what was it canadian bacon canadian bacon yeah, yeah great movie um Maybe they should remake that and go after the Canadian strategic maple syrup.
1: Pete Buttigieg says everyone worried about gas prices should just get a six-figure government job with free car service and unlimited parental leave. (laughs) You know what? Normally I would say that
0: fake news, but the incompetence of the Biden administration to say stupid things over the past year, two years, wouldn't surprise me.
1: That is from Babylon B.
0: It's fake news like i was watching what was i watching vice president when uh she did a press conference with poland's president you know I, I, it was simple madam vice president president biden recently said that there's no hope in the future on reducing inflation or, or, re- or reduction in gas prices uh what what's your thoughts on you know reducing that and what's what's the timeline Now, this question was pointed to her, like Madam Vice President. She turns and looks at the president of Poland and offers for him to answer the question. And he looked at her like she was crazy and pointed back, no, that's your question. Uh, She said, okay. And then she looked at the reporter, looked down, shuffled some papers, looked up, blank stare, had no idea, and then started talking about her meeting with Poland in a very quiet voice that she was trying to get out of this so bad and had no answers. I've heard politicians pivot <laughs> to not answer a question, mm-hmm. but at least they try to start like at least acknowledging the original question. That That's what we're facing. Like there is no solution in front of us from the Biden administration. No, they do have a
1: solution. It's just spend more money. Right. Yeah. And Nancy Pelosi just said in a press conference, government spending is not causing inflation. It's actually lowering. Lowering the national debt, right? We're gonna we're gonna borrow money to fund new programs
0: Something. by raising the national debt, and somehow it's lowering it. I mean, I gotta be honest, like American people, stop putting these people back in power. Can we? Can we? Can we, can we please?
1: What else you got? Um, all right, this is the last one. This is my favorite one. Hamas claims it discovered a dolphin assassin sent by Israel. You know, I'm gonna say fake news, but. I wouldn't
0: doubt that Israel is developing dolphins with lasers. Yeah,
1: that is real. It's Business Insider. They call it Dolphin Fidel. (laughs) No. All right. So, unfortunately, we are out of time for this week on Grove Unleashed. Anders, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for uh, dealing with my stupid jokes and driving me up here with all these insane gas prices. I'm glad you're the one driving, not me.
0: No, it's all good.
1: Uh, Appreciate everyone's time this week. Uh, If you like what you've
0: heard, make sure you rate it. We are on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and who knows what else, where else will show up? But thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Grove Unleashed. You can listen to this podcast and all episodes of Grove Unleashed at repgrove.comslash mypodcasts. You can also hear all of our content at pahousegop.com slash my podcasts.